Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. Hey. So, happy August. <laughs> yep. Yep, still August. Ha- happy Friday. This week's episode is for Ashley. I'm going to say R. Ashley R. R. It's pronounced R here. Arg. But over there Ashley is. Ashley Arg. Over there is Or. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to dox her on here, but either way, Ashley or you know who you are, Ashley. Thank you very much for being a Patreon <laughs> member. We very much appreciate it. Oh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> how are you this week? I'm good. How are you? I'm exhausted. Hang on. I'm exhausted. I've had a rough week. I had to stay at work late. So many things to do. By the time I get home, I feel like a deflated balloon. Let it all out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's how my week has been. I come home, I feel like a deflated balloon, and my brain feels like scrambled eggs. Arduous. So yeah, so that was my week. Right on. How was your week? My week was fine. I mean, I've been absolutely horsing Harry Potter out of it. like really getting deep in there yeah. i read like the first two books in what like four days or five days mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. um i haven't read a book other than books for the podcast in like forever yeah it's nice to read stuff that doesn't have to do with the podcast yeah and i think because it's been so long since i actually read them it's just like slipping on an old pair of slippers wandering around the corridors of hogwarts again uh speaking of books i just finished um little fires everywhere by celeste ing and that was a good book and right now i'm starting another book by sally hepworth i think it's called the family next door and i'm also in the middle of a horror book which i haven't read in a, a long time but this one is sort of it's not like jack ketchum where it's like gory that's not even just gory, though. That's like, just uncomfortable. It's unsettling horror. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, good. <laughs> it, it can be stressful. It's like reading Jack Ketchum is like wa- watching The Walking Dead. Reading, you are stressed the whole time. Reading Jack Ketchum, to me, sometimes feel like I might be partaking in the crime that's going on in the book. Yeah. Um, like, that's how he makes you feel, like you're complicit or something. It's so fucking weird. Yeah. Um. But that the horror book that I'm reading right now is not like that. It's called The Demonic. And it's very much like I'm watching a scary movie. Oh, cool. For, yeah. Like for the general public. Which is which is really cool. Like yeah. I, in my head I'm seeing like these ghosts that they're describing. These like scary uh otherworldly creatures that are haunting this home. Oh shit, okay. Yeah. Cause they make themselves they show themselves to the family and it's really scary but like it's fun to read yeah yeah oh you know? that's good yeah like already i'm because i'm on book number three now i'm like thinking ahead and i'm thinking i'm either gonna start rereading stephen king books mm-hmm. or redo game of thrones again well i'm trying to like i want to be able to like read the books that i bought yeah. And then dig into our our archives yeah. of books that we've accumulated 
the ones that I accumulated, not yours. Yeah. And then get rid of them after I'm done reading See, them. See, I don't like, this is where we're going to have problems. I want an entire room full from floor to ceiling of books that I have read or will read eventually. Whereas Dool says, like, I've read it. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing, though. Like, we that's still going to be your thing because, as you just said, these are books that you've read. Yeah, yeah. We don't read the same books entirely. And you will have that room of bookshelves of books you've read. You will not see <laughs> a single one of the ones that belong to me because I would have gotten rid of them. <laughs> well, anyway. We're ruining this for Ashley now. We're ruining her episode. She's <laughs> talking about books. Well, I feel like the people that no, are I know. patrons. I'm, I'm only They're the ones who actually enjoy listening to it. They actually um, like us as people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, with that said, I'm going to get straight into this. I'm not doing a paranormal case this week. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fine. We talk about what we want on this podcast. No, I know, but I feel like... You can read a manual for all I care. (laughs) (laughs) How to reassemble the gear stick mechanism of a 1973 (laughs) Dodge Rambler. Yeah. Um, Right. So pull out the switch. Got it. But no, I've been doing nothing but hauntings for what feels like months. Yeah. Like, I do not remember the last time I did anything different. So this is... Good old-fashioned murder. Nice. Yeah. Actually, it's not good old-fashioned murder. It's quite a strange case, I think. Okay. Anyway, my sources include allthatsinteresting.com, tulsaworld.com, alabamaheritage.com, Wikipedia, and Evil Women by John Marlowe. This book right here. Oh, that's the one. Is that the one that you got in Florida? I don't know if I got it in Florida, but... I think I just got it in Barnes & Noble. It was on, like, special, and I was like, this'll do. I think that you did get that in Florida. We went to a Books A Million out in uh, Destin, and I liked that store. Yeah, it was fine. Um, It was, like, it looked more like an old-school bookstore than than Barnes & Noble. Like, Barnes & Noble, I feel like it's more commercialized. Than this one. Yeah, no, it it was fine. But um, one thing I will say about this book is... I read, so it's just broken down. It's a whole collection of different murders, murderers. Uh-huh. And um, it's like maybe three pages for one, 10 pages for the next. Nothing too like deep. But the two that I've read, I've already found like simple spelling mistakes. Mm-hmm. And he gets his names mixed up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you're literally writing 10 pages worth of story. And surely there's like more than one person that proofreads this, right? How did it get through all these checks? So uh, I'm not putting it down as like a solid ass reference, but it is where I heard about the story. We're not professionals, people. No, and apparently neither is John (laughs) Marlowe. We never claim to be. Come at me, John Marlowe, if you you hear this. You know what I'd like like to to see? What? Somebody Somebody write a book that's called murderers and their pets that i'm not including that in this that could be our our money maker (laughs) 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 okay so today we are talking about nancy nanny dos but like with the block letters like the abc kid block letters it's like murders like in that font and then it's like in their pits (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so today we are talking about <laughs> Nancy Nanny Doss. Nancy Nanny Doss, okay. So Nanny for short. Oh, the whole time I'm going to be picturing your nanny murdering someone. Kind of, that's how it's been, yeah. <laughs> so born Nancy Hazel in Blue Mountain, Alabama, on the 4th of November in 1905 to a couple of modest farmers named James and Louisa, Lou for short. I actually read in one place that James might not have been her biological father and that Louisa hated him. So already off to a hot start. So the mom hated him. The mom hated him and Nanny grew to hate him as well. Okay. It was a family, family affair. Family affair, yeah. So he was a strict man. His number one priority was his farm, which didn't seem to make any money whatsoever. Hmm. Which is why his only staff were his wife and eventually his son and four daughters, who, other than school, were not allowed to go anywhere or do anything that might attract male attention. They weren't allowed things such as cosmetics or pleasing hairstyles or flattering dresses. And he actually used to pull them out of school for months at a time. Like, say, if it was like busy season on the farm, Mm -hmm. he would just be like, oh, well, it's more important that we get our... I don't know, turnips. What year was this? Uh, She she was born in 1905. 1905, okay, got it. Turnip farm. Uh, No, it said nowhere about turnip farms, I'm just guessing. Oh, I'm buying and selling turnips (laughs) on Animal Crossing. Oh, really? I'm turning a profit. It's like a stock market. The father was actually said to have, quote, feared that he would lose the bulk of his workforce if his daughters got married. Wow. So naturally, he had to try and stop that from happening any way that he could. Okay. Nanny's childhood just sounded like a fucking terrible time. Yeah. Farm work, school seemed like a fucking relief from the farm work, and Mm -hmm. then more farm work. The highlight of her childhood, right, and I keep laughing at this, and I know it's bad, Mm -hmm. but just bear with me. When she was seven... The family took a train to some other part of Alabama to, vis- to go and visit a, a relative. And again, I know I shouldn't laugh because she was just a small child. But the train made an emergency stop and Nanny was flung into the iron bars in the seat in front, causing blackouts for months afterwards. She had a severe brain trauma. Oh. Yeah. I just imagine this derpy little kid, though. And I know what she went on to do, so I, I don't really feel that bad. You just for imagine it. her just being like, ah! Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that kind of deal. Yeah. Well, there goes Nanny. Our best turnip picker. Um, well, at least, like, considering how the dad saw the family as, like, more like workhorses, he didn't, like, take her out back and put her out of her. her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the age of 15, Nanny actually went to work at the Linen Thread Company, like a local company. So it seemed that the wages from this job had actually been more valuable to the family than her working on the farm. But much to her father's dread, she met a handsome local boy by the name of Charlie Braggs. The names in this thing are very, very good. (laughs) Charlie Braggs. Charlie Braggs, see? He sounds like a city slicker. Yeah, yeah. He sounds like a good time Johnny. (laughs) a johnny come lately yeah well nanny brought him home to meet the family and james decided charlie 
whose life at this point revolved solely around his mother, was as good a suitor as Nanny was likely to get around these parts, and said, well, you best get married. Mm. I think he was just thinking he'd have one less mouth to feed, honestly. Maybe he was thinking, well, if they have kids, then I can use them as workhorses. <laughs> yep, maybe, maybe. But either way, they got engaged and spent a long time planning a very special ceremony. And four days later, they were married. And Nanny moved in with Charlie and his doting mother. Oh. She was 15. Oh. Yeah. Now, some sources did say 16, but like not much better. And far from being whisked off her feet with like romantic gestures and, and that, it seemed that she was really just there to help Charlie take care of his precious mother. His mother, as you can probably imagine, wasn't the easiest woman to get along with. She was so manipulative that she would often just fake being sick and like, I think the fake being bedridden Hmm. to get Charlie to come in and just give her attention and get her way. So according to Charlie, the first two years of the marriage were all right. But in 1923, they had their first child, a little girl called Melvina. Sounds like a breakfast biscuit. (laughs) <laughs> Melvina? Yeah. So No, actually it sounds like um an allergy pill. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so at this point Nanny was only 17, but they went on to have three more daughters. The youngest, Florine. That was short for something, but I I don't know what it was. Was there I wonder if their next kid was going to be called like Nutella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't believe it's not children. <laughs> so nanny's life was just not going the way that she had hoped at all looking after four kids and her mother-in-law and at some point between the birth of her first and last child nanny had started stepping out Mm, literally she would sneak out to bars at night and pretty soon her drinking got like way out of hand and her Quote, social smoking had now become a heavy habit. But Charlie was at it as well. Like, I th- I'm pretty sure he was the one who started this behavior. Mm-hmm. And he would just disappear for days, weeks on end. So, like, they were both as bad as each other. Yeah. And then in 1927, not long after the birth of Florine, things took a pretty sad turn. And the couple's two middle children suddenly died of suspected food poisoning. Oh. They were both fine in the morning. But by mid-noon, they had both passed away. Dang. Yeah. And again, the sources on this, uh, this is why I had used several different sources. There's slight variations in the story. Like one might say, and a week later, the other one died, Mm. blah, blah, blah. But I'm almost sure they actually both died in the same day. This seemed to be the final straw for Charlie. And he took off shortly after the funeral with Melvina leaving Nanny to look after his mother and newborn daughter. Oh, that's shit. Yeah, strange the way he would take the oldest child, though. I, I thought that was weird. He was gone for more than a year. And by the time he came back, his mother was dead. But Nanny hadn't been able to contact him to tell him that she was dead. Right. Because she didn't know who she, where, where he had gone. Mm-hmm. Charlie had plans for the house, however. He had brought his girlfriend with him, you see. And Nanny was giving her marching orders. Melvina and Florine too. Mm-hmm. It seemed he had had enough of Melvina. Nanny had no place to go but her mother and father's house. 
She had taken a job in a cotton mill when Charlie took off, so her mother watched the kids while she was gone to work. The dad was not happy about this, like at all. But I mean, Nanny's dad. Mm-hmm. That sounds so confusing. <laughs> but he was like, well, where else is she going to go kind of thing? And the mother actually seemed pretty happy to be able to look after her grandbabies. Yeah. So it wasn't the worst circumstances by any means. In the meantime, Charlie filed for divorce and Nanny had taken to answering personal ads in the local papers looking for a new hubby. Mm. The following year, Nanny met and married 23-year-old Robert Franklin Frank Harrelson of Jacksonville. Again, this is where stories kind of differed. I'm almost sure it was Jacksonville, Alabama, Mm. not Jacksonville, Florida. Uh Uh-huh. And Frank was a factory worker, which she had been trying to avoid. Like, she was desperate to kind of, I guess, get out of her class. Yeah. Or, like, just try and move up the, I guess, the social ladder in some way. But, nonetheless, she ended up with another factory worker. But he was also very sophisticated. He wrote poetry and was apparently extremely attractive. Okay, good for her. Movie star good looks, apparently. Okay, good for her. But after a few months, it became pretty clear that Frank was actually a horrible bastard. Oh. A physically abusive alcoholic waster who spent a lot of his time in the local drunk tank. Lame. Yes. Nanny put up with him, though, for 16 years. Damn. Yeah. They stayed together for 16 years. I think Nanny's priority was just getting Melvina and Florine raised and married and get them their own houses basically get them out into the world and luckily enough luckily for nanny i guess i don't know how their lives turned out but they married very young Mm -hmm. i'm gonna throw a quick trigger warning here because this story takes a pretty dark turn if you're in any way sensitive to child abuse or murder just skip ahead a couple of minutes melvina nanny's daughter Mm -hmm. She had her first child in 1943, a little boy named Robert, which made Nanny a grandmother at the age of 37. Mm-hmm. Two years later, Melvina had another baby, a healthy little girl. This time, however, it was not an easy delivery. It took hours and hours, but Nanny was there holding Melvina's hand through the entire ordeal, wiping her brow, giving her words of encouragement. Nanny cradled the baby in a chair in the room while Melvina and her husband tried to rest. An hour later, they were both woken with the news that their daughter had passed. Six months later, Melvina's firstborn had also died mysteriously while under Nanny's care. Hmm. His death certificate reads asphyxia, although they never found an exact cause. A few months later, Nanny, in all her grief, managed to collect an insurance check for $500, which she had taken out on young Robert. Hmm. This is probably the worst part of this story, so definitely skip ahead the next 30, 40 seconds if you're triggered by any of this. I promise this is as bad as the story gets. While Melvina was sleeping off the effects of the horrific birth, she was slipping in and out of consciousness. But she remembers possibly dreaming, possibly hallucinating, that she saw her mother stabbing her baby in the head with a hat pin. Okay. She wasn't sure about whether 
like that, whether it was just a hallucination or not. But she did tell people about it afterwards. And I guess nobody just just nobody brought it up. It was one of those things where I think Melvina was just told, ah, you were you were just hallucinating. You were just tired from everything. But a hat pin, I'm pretty sure I've never actually seen one. Like could be a fairly undetectable thing. Mm-hmm. And baby skulls are not formed. So maybe that's what went down. Yeah. Either way, very su- fucking grim. suspicious. Very grim. Now the child death is over. All right. So no more of that. Mere weeks after the death of her grandson, Nanny's husband Frank came home after celebrating the end of World War II with an evening of particularly heavy drinking, even for him. He came home and he forced himself on Nanny. And the next day, he happened to ingest a fairly decent amount of rat poison and spent his final hours in a great deal of pain. Oh, good. Nanny had found the stash of corn whiskey he had buried in the back garden and had decided enough was enough. People assumed that Frank had died from food poisoning. Food poisoning must have been much more severe back in the day. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because it seemed that this was just the go-to excuse for unexplained deaths. Yeah. Or deaths that people just weren't really too fussed about looking into. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But his last words were, Must have been the coffee. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus, what kind of fucking coffee were you drinking? That, that, you attrib- that you attribute it to coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, definitely wasn't my moonshine. Gotta remember not to complain about coffee ever. <laughs> Some sources say that Nanny got a nice little sum from Frank's insurance and bought herself a house and some land nearby. But others say that she actually went out of state and she stayed quiet for a couple of years. In the book that I read, there was mention of another husband. Now, even in the book, the author said it was possibly a rumor Mm. and there's no paperwork behind it. So we don't know. But his last name was Hendrix. Okay. And I couldn't find out anything else about him. So by. 1947, Nanny was back up on the horse. She met her official third husband, Arlie Lanning. Name's Arlie. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> say again? Arlie, like Harley without the H. Yeah. Lanning. Lanning. Yeah. Okay. Name's Arlie Lanning. <laughs> Good old fashioned 1950s name. <laughs> they met one another through another Lonely Hearts column but this time in Lexington, North Carolina. They met on Tinder. I made that joke later on in the notes, but yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They were right, though. Nanny was moving around from state to state. And three days after meeting Arlie, they were married. Three days. Three days. Arlie was a laborer. He was also an alcoholic and a womanizer. This just seems to have been her type mm-hmm. but much like her first marriage nanny started going off and doing her own thing sometime do you think maybe she was targeting people that had drinking problems i think that yeah because it's like easier to pass it off on the drink exactly yeah 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 or even if they did come to a sticky end it's like ah, oh, well he was probably drinking you know, drinking and got in a fight or something yeah Anyway, this time around, Nanny did start disappearing again for like weeks on end sometimes. Only 
it said that she was actually visiting sick relatives. Now, I don't know how much visiting sick relatives and how much getting some sweet 1950s dick was going on. That was her own business. Or how sweet it was in the 1950s. Uh, Everything was better back then, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I personally think that these were like recon missions. You know, like she was going around visiting these sick older relatives and maybe trying to see who she could just help push over the edge. Ah, okay. Now, this is just me guessing. Speculating. Yeah, yeah. One can only speculate. One can only speculate. I think we're going to have to get that put on a t-shirt at this stage. (laughs) We say it so much. When she was home with Arlie, she played the darling wife like no one else. Mm. And by the way, he was also disappearing for days and weeks on end. Just like hooring around. Just wagging his penis everywhere. Yeah, seeing if it lands somewhere. She joined the Lexington Methodist Church and became a dedicated member of its Ladies Auxiliary. All right. Very fancy. And everyone thought she was a fucking saint. Hmm. Like, literally, this whole community just fell in love with her. And because Arlie was such a well-known prick, (laughs) and because she was, like, playing it up to them as well, you know, oh, poor me, like, Arlie came home drunk last night. and Yeah. Whatever. I'm not saying she wasn't in a bad situation, but I... I know about her now, and I'm sure she was fucking leaning into all these stories. Yeah. So, in 1950, when Arlie suddenly got very sick and passed away, everyone rallied around her to help in any way that they could. Mm. Nanny told her friends that her beloved Arlie woke up perfectly fine that morning. Nanny had given him his breakfast of coffee and prunes. Weird. And he suddenly got sick. Coffee and prunes? Coffee and prunes. I think it's like stewed prunes. That's what I'm guessing. Probably pretty nice. I don't know. Either way, after this delicious breakfast that his loving wife made him, he He suddenly got very sick. Big ass shit. (laughs) Well, because that's what prunes do. Either way, he got very sick afterwards. Okay. It was a mystery. Mm. He spent several days vomiting and suffering from other flu like symptoms and eventually passed away. His cause of death was ruled as heart failure. What? Now, to me, yeah, I think that's bullshit. Like, who gets a flu and then dies of heart Heart failure? failure, But I do know that people can suffer. I'm not a doctor, but people can suffer from like heart attacks. And it comes across as like they might not even get a pain in their chest. They might have like a really upset stomach for days on end. It turns out they're actually having a heart attack. I don't know that. So I, I think maybe it's. Within the realms of possibility. Mm. But either way, we know that that's not what happened. Her friends helped to get through the funeral. They all, like I said, they all rallied around her. They doted on her, yeah. Yeah. But now poor Nanny was left with this big house to look after all on her own. Or was she? Well, it turns out that Arlie's house was actually willed to his sister. Oh. So after a few months, Nanny, of course, moved out because she wasn't going to upset anyone. Yeah. She did take her television, though, because it was quite expensive. And wouldn't you know, just the look of the devil, because as she was pulling away from the house, it burned to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, but she hadn't gone too far because she was actually only moving in with Arlie's mother. So she would, of course, make sure that the sister got the insurance check. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when it came in the mail. So she stuck around for a couple of months. And when the check arrived, it was made out to Arlie. So she went and cashed it because she was still his, his wife. wife. Yeah. It never said anything in the will about the insurance being willed to Arlie's sister. Mm-hmm. So that money stayed in Nanny's account. Good woman. And Arlie's elderly mother then passed away suddenly. And Nanny said that she had to go and take care of her sister, Dovey, back in Alabama. Dovey was bedridden. And despite all of Nanny's best efforts, she died shortly after her arrival. <laughs> Around this time, Nanny paid $15 for a subscription to the Diamond Circle Club a company that catered for the lovelorn. They have since ceased operation, I checked, but this is basically 1950s Tinder, or Mm -hmm. Tinder Premium, I guess. Because with this, rather than scouring the local papers for um, personal ads, they actually just send you a monthly newsletter full of profiles of possible suitors. Mm -hmm. Good old e-harmony. Yeah, yeah. And through this, she met Richard L. Morton. Richard was a retired businessman from Emporia, Kansas, and they married in 1952. Richard was different to the rest of Nanny's husbands in that he wasn't an alcoholic, he was tall, dark, and handsome, and he loved to throw his money around. But it turns out the money that he was throwing around wasn't actually his, and he owed basically everyone in Emporia, Kansas, money. Whoa. Everyone except for his mistress who also lived in Emporia, Kansas, a very small town. Everybody knew everyone's business. Two months into her new marriage, and Nanny was back, looking through the personals, preemptively telling her correspondents that she was recently widowed. Oh, (laughs) you slipped up there. Around this time, Nanny got news that her own father had passed away and her mother would need to be taken care of because she had recently broken a hip. So Nanny told her, come on up to Kansas. Your loving daughter will take care of you. For about two days. Her mother had died within 48 hours of arriving. That's wild. Three months later, Richard was also dead. I guess she needed a little time after, you know, killing her mother. So as not to draw any attention. Yeah. You need that buffer. Yeah, of course. It's only right. So by June 1953, remember, her last husband, they had only gotten married in 1952. But by June 1953, Nanny was engaged, just weeks after she buried Richard. She had already been doing the legwork for this. Okay. Sam Doss was an honest-to-God good man, by the sounds of things. He had never touched the drop of alcohol. He wasn't a lady chaser. He was handy around the house and would even help with the cooking. Mm. He was also a Nazarene minister and wouldn't dream of raising a hand to Nanny. If this man was a colour, he'd probably be a nice off-white or beige. If he was a spice, he'd be flour. Thank you. (laughs) He sounds like a cornflakes with water kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like his job, he he was a highway, a state highway inspector. So he literally drove around looking at the road. <laughs> like, <laughs> love, what love type that. of dirt are you using? I love that. Yeah, no, these are the guys. I actually had to Google that because I was like, hold on a minute. At first I thought he was a cop. And then I was like, no, this 
this guy goes around inspecting the materials that road road construction guys use yeah. to make sure it's all up to code. Yeah, he sounds like a good guy. Yeah, a little boring maybe. But that's okay. I like a little vanilla. He had also squirreled away a good chunk of change in his savings. Good for him. He had achieved this big old bank account from a life of frugality, however. Mm. He just hated spending money. Sam didn't approve of Nanny's gossip magazines and romance novels. Oh. He didn't agree with the fact that she bought them. Mm. Obviously, it's a waste of money. Right. And also, they were sinful. Remember, he was a Nazarene minister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget about that. And these things get pretty hot and heavy. I've never read them, but mom, I know you're listening to this. And my nanny, my grandmother, I'm pretty sure she used to read these things as well. Be like some fucking muscly Spanish dude ripped on the cover like you know what i mean but were the ones that were published in the 50s like that i'm pretty sure okay i it's i'm like, willing to bet they weren't but if you know any different listeners please yeah please i've let never us read know. them before i just know that they're dirtier than what you would expect i maybe know, they don't outright say it but. Uh-huh. i know they are now but i'm very curious to know if the ones that were published specifically in the 50s were they that way I mean, they're not going to be like Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, I'm, I'm pretty but, sure. But yeah, I know. I just want to say, like, what's, what's the... How hot and heavy did they get? Yes. Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> either way, she must have gone through enough of them. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a weekly thing. She would buy one of the magazines was called Romantic Heart. That seemed to be her favorite one. Oh, cute. But... You say cute, I say filth. <laughs> but either way, this became a huge point of contention in the relationship. Please, like the things you say to me, that's <laughs> filth. And, and we're just having like a normal conversation and you throw in filth and I'm like, that wasn't even called for. <laughs> I just like the shock factor. <laughs> either way, this had become a huge point of contention in their relationship. Nanny eventually was so sick of his... Like basically not allowing her to read books and watch her own programs, that she went back to Alabama. Mm. So Sam was pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, he was. But Sam got to pleading and begging through letters, trying to get his dearly beloved to come back home. Eventually, after transferring his life savings into a joint account and taking out two life insurance policies so that Nanny would be well looked after if anything should happen to him. If anything should happen to him. She went back to him. Wow, that poor man's so dumb. All of this happened within three months of them meeting. The engagement, the wedding, the separation, the reconciliation, and the life insurance policies. Three months. What a whirlwind. So Wait, I'm setting myself up here. Speaking of whirlwinds, (laughs) ask me how Sam ended up a widower in the first place. How? Tornado. What? Killed his family. Wow. He lost his family to a tornado (gasps) in uh, Arkansas. That sucks. So sad. I don't know how many kids or anything he had, but God love him. He was probably just thinking like, Nanny is his last chance at happiness and he cannot mess this up. Yeah. So the tornado just took them. I mean, I don't think it just lifted them up and placed them somewhere else. Like, it killed them. The only (laughs) reference I have for tornadoes, to be fair. 
is Twister. The Wizard of Oz and Twister. And they both had terrible repercussions. I only The witch rem- was crushed by a house. I only remember the cow in the tornado. How that cow was lifted up and then the tornado just took it. Well, do you want to know something? I'm going to level with you here. That cow died. Oh, well. That cow never made it back safely to its pasture. Well, I don't remember it's gone that. on to the big pasture in the sky. Don't I'm sorry. That. Well, okay. That's fair. <laughs> so they died. Got it. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's family are in the Emerald City. <laughs> <laughs> that tornado's still going. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Jesus Christ. We're never going to get through this story. So, three months of them meeting, all this shit happened. Um, what's her fucking name again? Nanny. Nanny. She finally comes back. <laughs> and in September and of 19... Tornado 19- takes her. Yeah, gone. <laughs> <laughs> all day I spent writing this. All day long. <laughs> He goes to pick her up from the bus stop and the tornado just lands in that spot and picks her up. Poor old Sam does. I'm just imagining it. This poor man lost his family. I'm not laughing at that. Uh. He spends the rest of his life trying to figure out how to kill the tornado. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Nicolas Cage movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm so, crying. <laughs> All right, keep going. So they met in June, right? In September of 1953, Sam was admitted to hospital where he stayed for 23 days as the result as a result of severe infection of the digestive tract. Oh. It was the darndest thing. He felt fine all day and even had a slice of his darling wife's prune cake and then suddenly started to experience flu-like symptoms. He was well looked after in the hospital though and on the 5th of October the doctor said he was all right to go back home. After over three weeks of hospital food, he was treated to a beautiful roast pork dinner and a lovely cup of coffee in his home. He was dead the following morning. Damn. Now, some sources say that he actually lasted a week, but I'm sticking with the following morning. Yeah, yeah. It's just likelier because she was probably pissed that it didn't work. And you know what? She fucked up because the coffee, the... Prune breakfast probably steamed or like, you know, boiled or whatever. And sh- this time she used it in a cake. So Maybe she it lost prob- its potent- Exactly. Potency? Exactly. Maybe. Either way, when the doctor heard that Sam had died, he immediately called for an autopsy. They found a buttload of arsenic in him. Oh. It was like, hands down, there was no questions about it. This was murder. It was a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> he swallowed a tornado. <laughs> uh, 
was a tornado masquerading as nanny. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, here's some cake. <laughs> <laughs> and then apron. Cups and sauces going everywhere in the kitchen. Like, well, nanny, you're certainly louder than I remember. <laughs> you're very lively. <laughs> uh, okay. This was the first time any suspicion, I spelled suspicion wrong in my notes. How'd you spell it? Suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> but this was the first time any suspicion had fallen on Nanny, who had apparently already contacted the life insurance companies before Oof. the autopsy was even finished. Damn. She was taken into custody and she denied everything, all knowledge of the arsenic. She was held in the station where she was glued to some cheap romantic fiction. While the police started looking into her past. And I was pretty impressed as I was reading this story at just how fucking crazy this woman's life had been. Yeah. Can you imagine being the police officer or a bunch of police officers going through this trail and just seeing dead body after dead body and yeah. everywhere that basically everyone who had come in contact with her. When they asked her about her previous husbands, she just laughed. She just giggled. Right. This went on to get her the nickname of the Giggling Granny. Wow. Well, how old was she at this point? Uh, 49. But she was a granny. Mm. And okay. I think she's often described as matronly looking. Mm. This went on for some time. And eventually they took her Romantic Heart magazine from her. And without her magazine, by the sounds of it, like within seconds of them taking her magazine, she told them exactly what happened. Whoa. She told police that Sam wouldn't let her watch her favorite programs on the TV, and he made her sleep with no fan on the hottest nights. She said, quote, he was a miser, and, well, what's a woman to do under those conditions? Nanny agreed to tell the police all about her other husbands if they agreed to give her back her magazine. She claimed that they had all been dullards, saying, quote, if their ghosts are in this room, they're either drunk or sleeping. <laughs> But literally, they supplied her with romantic fiction, and that's all it took for her to just spill all of this fucking information to them. Yeah. The bodies of Frank, Arlie, Richard, Louisa, her mom, Dovey, her sister, and her nephew were all exhumed, and all had died of either arsenic poisoning or asphyxia. Now, I didn't read about her nephew, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure whether that's like one of the articles got it mixed up and maybe is mixing it up with her grandson. Mm -hmm. But either way, that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bodies mm -hmm. that they've immediately just gone. Oh shit. Yeah. She definitely killed all of these seven people. Yeah. But Nanny was loving this. Yeah. I think her own real life romantic fiction was kind of, well, true crime fucking story yeah. was being played out before her very eyes. She laughed her whole way through all of her confessions. It sounds kind of creepy, honestly, the way she would be like, oh, yeah, I killed Frank. And then she just burst out giggling. And then she'd tell him what happened next. And then she would start giggling again, like, like she couldn't control herself almost. Um, she also was flirting with the police the whole time. But like, it, it was gross. It said, like a little girl. Weird. Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. But because of how she behaved she became like something of a celebrity 
straight away. Mm-hmm. Like this was in all the tabloids back then. Some of her nicknames included the Giggling Granny, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the story of Bluebeard. What the <laughs> fuck? Apparently Life magazine actually bought the rights to her story. I don't know if she had if she actually had like a full understanding of the seriousness of what she did. It doesn't sound like she did. Yeah. One source said uh, her attorneys described her as, quote, a mental defective. Obviously, that's not PC for nowadays, but that's just the quote from the trial. And a few different sources mentioned her childlike ways. And she herself blamed that um, accident on the train that time, mm-hmm. the head injury. She said, ever since then, I haven't been right. And clearly, yeah, you know, I don't know what she was like beforehand, but she definitely seems like maybe she just wasn't all there. Yeah, that, it definitely does seem that way. Yeah. But she did pretty well for herself for well, someone I mean, who wasn't all there. You that's know I mean? true. That's true. Like she managed to cover her tracks. I guess she didn't really need to cover her tracks, but she got away with a lot yeah. for a long time. I, it kind of just seems like what she did to get away, she probably learned in her fictions. Yeah, possibly. You possibly. know what I'm saying? It's like she's fucking sitting at home watching Midsummer Murders, taking yeah. notes. Yeah, <laughs> and also that detail about when she, as soon as she was given what she wanted, this item, just an object, then she spilled the beans. Yeah, just yeah. like a baby when it exactly. starts crying, you give it a pacifier and it's fine now. Mm-hmm. You know. So even though they had actual proof that a lot of her victims were in fact, victims, mm-hmm. murdered by her. For some reason, and I don't know why, honestly, but she was only charged with Sam Doss's death. Now, I don't know whether it had some bullshit ruling with, like, oh, well, she was in this state and it was the only murder mm-hmm. in this state or something along those lines. Yeah. I don't honestly know. But his was also the most recent. She was 49 at the time and she pled guilty, smiling the whole way throughout the trial. And telling her daughter afterwards, quote, take it easy and don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. When she left the courtroom, she told photographers who asked her for one more smile, quote, sure, I don't feel bad at all about going to McAllister. Weird, right? Yeah. She was said to be a model prisoner and, quote, forever a jokester with a smile. She eventually became the second oldest person in the prison. And is quoted saying, <laughs> when they get short-handed in the kitchen here, I always, hof- I always offer to help out, but they never do let me. Well, no shit. <laughs> she died of leukemia on June 2nd, 1965, 10 years after she went into prison. Wow. So she died at the age of 59. And that's the story of Nanny Doss. Interesting. Yeah. Right, so we're going to rattle off some stories. I, I didn't mean to say <laughs> rattle when that happened. It just came We're just going to make some shit up. <laughs> um, some stories I found from Reddit. Uh, the subreddit reads, Cops of Reddit, what has so far been the creepiest call you've ever had to respond to and what happened? Oh, As I like it. If you're a longtime listener, you know these are the our kinds of stories. These, we just vibe with these. So, here we fucking go. Smokey Bonaparte <laughs> says, 
911 dispatcher reporting in received a call from an elderly lady who had trouble breathing. I had taken several calls from her and her husband in the past, so I recognized her voice. I dispatched an ambulance to her residence and held her on the line, trying to keep her calm while the ambulance was responding. Ambulance advised that they had a 15-minute ETA. She lived in a rural part of the city. A what? Rural. Jerk. (laughs) You say it. Rural. In a very rural. (laughs) Makes no fucking sense either way. It's a stupid English word. Yikes. I'm talking to her, asking about her husband and how he was doing and just making small talk with her. The ambulance calls in and advises that they're on the scene. And I let them know that she's in severe respiratory distress and I still had her on the line. I let her know that the ambulance is coming to the door and to go answer the door. And she says, okay, and hangs up the phone. Pretty normal, yeah? Okay. Well, here's where it gets weird. The EMT and paramedic on scene call back about a minute later and and advises that no one is answering the door. We have a sheriff unit who was in the area pulling on the scene about that time. The sheriff unit confirmed the address and advised he is breaching the door to make access to the PT, to the patient. Okay. Five minutes go by and the paramedic on scene radios in asking who the caller was. I advised it was the elderly female who lived at the residence. He tells me that he's going to call in and needs to speak with the supervisor on shift. We get him over to the supervisor, and the supervisor confirms the information that I gave him and asks what's going on. Apparently, the elderly female had been dead for a while and was already in full rigor mortis. They thought I was wrong on the caller, but the other dispatchers played it back and confirmed that it was the female who called. The ambulance transferred the hospital. We got the same calls and disbelief from the doctors. So, I took a call from a ghost. That is terrifying. What about the poor man? Who fucking knows? Who fucking knows? And the fact that it's recorded as well. Wait, what man? Her husband? Yeah. I don't think he was in the picture anymore. Like oh, he- wait. Oh, where was he? Um, actually, yeah. I don't think he was in the picture anymore. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he was already dead or something. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. How fucking terrifying. It's one thing to be able to say, tell that story. But to be able to listen to it back, I don't think I'd be able to. Probably, yeah, I wouldn't Like either. once is enough. Thank you. Mm. Also, I quit. <laughs> and I'm moving. Also, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> the next post is by Not a Troll 4. I'm interning with the sheriff's police department, so most of my time is spent on patrol. We got called out to do a wellness check, which the deputy thought was going to be a piece of cake, like she was out of town or something. We get there and are met by the neighbors who told us that the mail is piling up in the mailbox and there are several untouched packages on the porch. Okay, so we go up to the house and the front door is unsecured, so we crack open the door a couple of inches and the deputy calls inside, but the door won't move anymore. The house was one of those split houses where the stairs 
meet at the front door, and the upstairs and downstairs are offset, so we concluded that there might be stuff behind the door. It's about this time that the deputy tells me that she is a known hoarder, and that could be why the door is stuck. He also mentions that if we see flies on the inside of the windows, she's most likely inside and deceased. As we walk around the side of the house, we notice a lot of flies on the windows. The back door was locked, and as we looked in, we noticed bags on bags of garbage, diapers, and miscellaneous shit all over the place. We head back to the front and attempt to make entry. He pushes the door open, this time with more force, and from underneath, I see a grease-like liquid spreading out from under the door. Oh no. The deputy stops, closes the door, and calmly tells me that the lady was indeed dead and wedged behind the door. From the dates of the packages, we concluded that she had been gone about two months. Once we did make entry into the house, I was allowed inside. After two months, she didn't even look like a human corpse. Her skin and body had sagged and melted to the floor, and her face, her face was all black and had been eaten to the bone by maggots. I'll never forget the smell when the coroners moved her and she popped. It was like a physical presence. Whatever those people get paid to deal with that shit, it's not enough. The thing that really got me, though, was wondering if she had fallen down the stairs and died there, or if she fell and was unable to move and waited for help that would never come. That's so sad. That's fucking insane. But speaking of that, I actually went down this fucking I couldn't sleep one night and I ended up watching these guys I'm sure some of our followers at least or people that we follow on Instagram maybe are like urban explorers like shit that we see on nukes all the time like they're not necessarily ghost hunters they just like looking at abandoned things which by the way we should probably check out and see if he has a new video he doesn't his fans are worried oh I saw a post earlier saying hey has anyone heard from nuke um well he he was gone for a stint because something was going on i think the chap just has a family and the videos are a little bit too much hopefully that's all it is yeah 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 Yeah. um he's trying to get staff anyway this guy was walking around like random houses and he had like tons and tons of videos Mm. because i was watching it thinking oh i'm gonna see something creepy in this no (laughs) i didn't but there's one that i went on to next they found a stain in the house Oh. A full body stain. Yeah. From where this old lady had melted to the floor. Oh. She was just left and it was like you could tell that the guy in the video was like actually shocked. Yeah. And he was trying to be like respectful and like still posted the fucking video <laughs> to yeah. get his views, but like it did take him aback. It looked just gnarly as hell. I I can't even imagine. That sucks. So the next story is from <laughs> So the next story. <laughs> the next story is from JJM295. And he write he or she writes or they went to a welfare check. A neighbor called in. He hasn't seen this guy for a few days and the lights have been on for a while. I go and look around and find no poof no footprints, no poof prints. No footprints or tire marks in the snow. There was a recent storm. I checked the garage and nothing. I checked the house, which was unlocked, and found the guy's cell phone, keys, wallet, and cash with the TV on. 
That's when I realized this was now a dead body search. I looked everywhere, in and outside the house and around the garage. There were several old junk vehicles on the property, but again, no tire marks or shoe prints or anything. I call all recent numbers on his phone and no one's heard from him. Only so much I can do, so I issue a BOL and we start getting NCIC paperwork ready. Next day, the day shift officer goes over to follow up. Turns out the guy was plowing his driveway and either had a medical condition or something and either passed out or died on the spot and crashed a truck onto the other drunk cars, which then caught fire. Edit, investigation leads to the fact that this happened a week before I got this call, leaving only a pile of bones in the front seat covered in snow. I felt like shit for not finding him that night, but it was really creepy knowing his remains were inches away from where I was searching. Okay. That's a freak accident. Yeah, it is. First of all, I'm going to pretend like we knew what BOL and NCIC stood for. <laughs> Just like, yeah, no problem. True crime. Got it. Um, but second of all, how did the neighbor think, hmm, Bill left his lights on. That's strange. Better call the police. But he didn't think, hmm, Bill's on fire in the driveway in his truck. But I'm not going to call the police on that. Like, I don't know how it would have happened. But I, I mean, if his neighbors are vigilant, that's what I mean. Like, then you're going to notice his fucking truck on fire in the front garden, right? But see, that's the thing, though, because, like, we don't know how it went down, but it couldn't have went down so obvious that well, a vigilant yeah, yeah. neighbor would have missed it. Yeah. You yeah, feel I me? suppose. Still a strange one. Poor guy. Mm-hmm. I like these stories. You should do it the next pork chop still late and tells the truth air on this. Yeah. You, you do have time for another one? Yeah. And our last one is from Poster... Awaiting death. Wow. <laughs> Are you living or alive, man? <laughs> Where did you hear that? It's just the thing people say. It's really? Like, man, I was living, but I wasn't alive, brother. You know what I'm saying? See, I would have thought the other thing around. Like, uh, I was alive, but I wasn't, I wasn't living. Really living. I wasn't L-I-V-I-N, my man. Wow. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe I got it reversed. You know, there's an otter that talks that way and a little puppy dog that talks that way in uh, Animal Crossing. Crossing, Yeah. He's like, like he'll spit some random shit at me for uh, like, he's like, hey, man, that scallop that you just caught, can I have it? And I can choose to give it to him or not. And I'll give it to him. And he's like, oh, that's really cool of you. And then he'll like say some nonsensical shit and he's like, wrap your noodle around that, man. Like that kind of shit. (laughs) The dude from uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah. I don't believe in age, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm just going to start being that guy from now on. L-I-V-I-N, man, I am living. Shit'll get old real fast. Anyways. <laughs> I'm too cranky for that, to be yeah, honest. You I are. could not. <laughs> I think you're too cynical I for that. I didn't tell myself to fuck off. You're too Irish yeah. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, awaiting death. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Got a report of a missing husband. He told his wife and family of six children that he was going to get his tires changed, but never returned. And this was 12 hours ago. Classic fucking story. 
They had purchased another house in a neighboring community, and the relationship with the wife was under pressure. Under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So the wife assumed he was staying at the other house and claimed he would never kill himself. Whoa. All right. That was just one sentence? Yeah. Okay. So I guess we mean like, I guess that's what they meant. That's what they meant when they meant that it's under pressure. That's what they meant when they meant? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Man. (laughs) The strange thing about this report, though, was that he emptied his personal bank account into his wife's that morning as well. How convenient. The wife explained this off, saying that they recently had a fight about finances and he agreed that he was bad at money and maybe they should just have a joint account that she controls. So not a joint account. then. Yeah. (laughs) On a hunch, I asked his 14-year-old boy if there were any areas in the mountains nearby that his father enjoyed going to and the son identified a road about 10 miles away. It was nearing midnight. But I decided to drive to the top of this old and abandoned forest service road. As I drove through the snow and started to climb the road, I felt a gut feeling that I would 100% find this guy up there, either thinking about or already acting out a suicide. The snow-laid gravel road had some sign of travel, but no real indication of how fresh the vehicle tracks could be. As I reached the top of the road after an hour of travel, I was honestly surprised that I did not find his black truck. I spent the drive back down thinking about gut feelings and how they were unreliable, but that I somehow felt different about this one. As I traveled up the road, I did notice over a dozen smaller roads branching off, but they were not mapped, and I had already spent too much time on a single occurrence in a busy city with too few police officers. Nonetheless, I decided to check a single of these secondary roads. And about three quarters of the way down, I picked a road at random to check. And sure enough, my headlights lit up the back end of a black truck, about 100 yards past the first corner. Even if I hadn't memorized a license plate beforehand, I wouldn't have had to run it. It was clearly his. I radioed that I had found the truck, parked my vehicle, and traveled the 20 feet to his truck with my heart beating like I was doing it at a sprint rather than a normal walk. What I found inside was a mess of brains and blood caused by a self-inflicted shotgun wound under the chin. Jesus. I'll save you from the description. There was just something about that gut feeling. While traveling this abandoned and quiet mountain road, followed by a sense of being tricked by the gut feeling, then finding out it was true by discovering such a gruesome scene, having to wait three hours next to his truck, waiting for body removal, and then to end it all by having to go to the family who was expecting good news to deliver them the worst news possible, that makes me feel creeped out to this day. The worst part would be having to sit there for three hours. With remains. Yeah. Jesus. Well, this episode took a terrible turn. <laughs> no, that's fucking awful. <clears throat> that's one of my like biggest fears of becoming a police officer. 
Yeah. Would be doing shit like that. Like, how do you go to the family? Yeah, that's true. You know? Mm-hmm. But I, I also, like, the people who do, like, body removal and stuff, mm-hmm. like, fuck me, they must be another breed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I know you get, go to therapy and all that, but, like, you have to have a certain type of personality for that type of work, you know? I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Our bonus one. Okay. Because I know I said the last one was yeah. the last one. So this is the last, last one, not like the so last So this one. is the P.S. <laughs> this one is from Moo Cow Boo Cow. Okay. I fucking love Reddit names. Yeah, I know. That's what uh, we should make a podcast on. Yeah, we should. Just reading Reddit names out loud. Detention officer at a local jail here. We Hi, had a- Adam. Nice <laughs> <you>. <laughs> we had a guy get brought in about 2 a.m. one night who we immediately knew was about to give us a fun time based on the time he was mo- based on the way he was moving quickly snapping the head back and forth looking all over the room etc he's a regular fun time charlie <laughs> one of my coworkers and i stay with the booking officer to help her out when the shit inevitably hits the fan the guy keeps rambling on throughout the whole process Parts of his speech are understandable, but most of it is gibberish. At one point, he looks up at my coworker and says, Would you blame me for it? Trying to keep the guy calm, my coworker tells him, Nah, man, no one can blame you. For whatever reason, this set the guy off. He leaps off the bench, and we both push him back down. My coworker is trying to get handcuffs on his other wrist. He was already handcuffed by one hand to the bench. And I'm holding him against the wall with every bit of strength I have. This motherfucker was strong. I swear the bench was about to come up off the concrete when he first leapt at us. Now, these benches are screwed into the floor. Just want people to know that. They're fixed. Yeah. Once my coworker gets handcuffs on him, we take a step back. The guy throws his head back. Eyes rolled all the way back and lets out an inhuman scream that I've only heard in movies about demon possession. He then moves his head as if he's looking around the room, but still with his eyes rolled into the back of his head and spouts off more nonsense. I'm not Catholic, but I was very tempted to cross myself. (laughs) The screaming, head-throwing back, and eye-rolling continue on for about 45 minutes. Every so often, he'd come back to reality and talk to us like a normal person for a moment and then go back into crazy mode. That's insane. Yeah. That's terrifying. 45 minutes of it as well. Jesus yeah. Christ. I, I kind of want to read this one. Oh. <laughs> this is from Poster Afino, military police officer. So I worked both law enforcement and corrections for a bit. In corrections, the main office was also the police services desk. Often it would ring and no one would be at the other end. Anyways, one time it rang and instead of a number, it had a descriptor that I don't remember exactly. Something like emergency phone 11. I was new and immediately called my superiors about it. They told me to drop it and never report anything like that again. Ominous, right? Wow. Anyways. Damn it, Steve. Don't you ever tell me about the phone ringing ever again. (laughs) Anyways, the reason I told that is to tell this. Sometime later, on patrol, I got dispatched 
to essentially an abandoned side of the base to respond to an emergency phone call. No location at first because radio didn't know where emergency phone 11 was. And was new to the base, so he didn't get the same memo to not report those calls. Radio then went on to say that the caller had sounded frantic and thought they were being chased, meaning that someone had eventually, someone had actually been on the other end. Radio eventually digs up some old maps that label a emergency radio 11 location and relays them to me and my partner, so we drive there in a hurry. There is no phone, just a broken pole where there once had been. That was a fun one to report. Uh, yeah. But who was phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah. That has to be like, Jesus Christ, that's fucking, no, thank you. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. <clears throat> We're going to play Luigi's Mansion for a little while, because we are adults. <laughs> we and do we, what we want. Yep. Do what we want, and we're going to get paid. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for those terrifying stories. And thank you for listening. <laughs> Hope you all enjoyed the episode. Oh, actually, do you know what I think I forgot to mention in my story real quick? Mm. Her f- Nancy, or Nanny Doss's first husband, remember? Charlie Braggs. Mm-hmm. The he, city slicker. Yeah, he got away scot-free. Oh, did he? Yeah, remember he just divorced her? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So later on, they interviewed him. Oh. And he was like, yeah, I knew what I was doing. Somebody had told me to be careful of her food. No. I don't think that's true. I think he no. was just loving the attention. Yeah, was you're like, just a piece of shit. Yeah. Maybe if he had just been loyal and faithful to her. Yeah. None of this other shit would have happened. Maybe, yeah. But they were like 15 and 16 when they got married. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, um, I just remembered that. If you enjoyed this episode, please do feel free to follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all that good stuff. In case you haven't got the memo, we have a new tier on our Patreon, which is for $2 a month. And you have access to all of our extra stuff. Yeah. There's also a 5 and a $10 with various bonus goodies added on. Um, if yeah. you pay for the $10, you get a dick pic from Adam. Only if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's about it, right? Yeah. Next week, actually, when next week's episode comes out, you'll be one year older. Yep. 29 again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, so we'll see you guys on the next one. Or we'll, we'll pretend to see you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> TTFN. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> it's a tornado that did it. I'm convinced everyone that your mom calls has their phone in a bag of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only noise I ever fucking hear. <laughs> you say the funniest thing sometimes when you're irritated or aggravated.